I'm only about two weeks into taking my supplements and I'm already noticing a difference. Even my teen said, Mom, you're staying up past nine. What's going on? Well, I seem to have energy. I'm way less tired. I'm even back to running and it's been ages. Thank you, Dr. Kylie. I'm excited to keep going and to see how good I can actually feel. Oh, and I'm not craving sugar anymore. So that's freaking amazing. Nicole, what success will you be celebrating in just 21 days? Come join the Permission to Heal Bootcamp that's right for you. We begin September 6th. You can pick and choose which one is right. Come join us at drkylieburton.com and I'll see you on the inside. Practitioners, let's form an army. Step into our purpose, all while leveling up together. Come join me inside the BTD Mastermind. Doors close September 6th. You can join in at btdmastermind.com and let's transform lives together. We need an army. You know this. I know this. So I'll see you on the inside. Welcome to the Beyond the Diagnosis podcast with me, Dr. Kylie. Now, when it comes to hormones... This woman is the specialist. Dr. Tabitha is the functional gynecologist. You can find her at drtabitha.com, but also on her podcast, The Functional Gynecologist. And today she's going to share with us what on earth is going on in our cycle. Dr. Tabitha, thanks so much for having us and joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited for this conversation because Every woman needs to know what the heck's going on in their body, right? Yes. And we think a lot of things are going on that are missed. Yes, definitely. We're, we'll get into those. And, and you're going to share this because this is your expertise. Walk us through, because you were telling me beforehand how you used to do surgery and you used to do the gynecology exams, and now you're all functional medicine. And in your terms, you said you help more patients with the functional medicine than you ever did with surgery. Yeah, that was super eye-opening to me when I started doing functional medicine Fridays in my office. Like I was a traditional OBGYN. I would deliver the babies all night and do surgery all day, see patients in the office, crank out my annual exams, you know, like go through 50 speculums a day, that kind of thing. (laughs) And I was doing a lot of surgery, a lot of hysterectomies, a lot of endometriosis removal, cyst surgery, ablations for heavy periods. And when I started training into functional medicine, I would do functional medicine on Fridays and I would take an hour with patients that I like handpicked. And I started realizing like, they didn't need all those interventions that I had been doing because we were, you know, getting their body back into balance. And when you get your hormones balanced, a lot of that stuff goes away. All of a sudden the heavy periods are gone. The painful periods are manageable. The cysts resolve. So it was super eye-opening. And I finally just got to a point where I said, you know what? I need to make a shift. I need to do this full time. And I gave up my conventional OBGYN salary job that was super cushion secure, you know, with my 401k and all that crap, because I knew that I had a bigger purpose. And I knew that I wanted people to not just have a diagnosis, like you say, or keep them from not being in the hospital or in the OR, but to actually help them get healthy and feel amazing. So 
you know, that was a few years ago and I never have regretted that for sure. Yeah. I know we have practitioners who are sitting in that scenario you used in two years ago, making that decision. Do I leave my Western medicine nine to five, my salary paid job and venture out into this functional medicine world in which they just became introduced to or, or are learning and running a clinic all on their own and becoming a business person. Yes. What helped you make that leap? I started studying. So I not only had studied functional medicine and became certified and did all that other stuff, but I started studying people like Sachin Patel and Megan Walker and people who had created functional medicine practices and were successful at it and what made them successful. And I started thinking about what would my dream situation look like? And I will tell you that that is not what happened at all, you know, but I did put the idea out into the world. Like, I just want to see three or four patients a day, a couple days a week. I want to have days to exercise. I want to have days to do a podcast. Like I, I want to write this book. I had big dreams. And so I put that out in the universe and I just kept making decisions that moved me toward that. And all of a sudden things got really ugly in my practice and contract negotiations went bad and we got bought. And that was a clear sign to me, like it's time to go. And I think that if you start listening to the universe or to God or whatever you believe in, your path is there. The doors are there to be opened. It's just that you need to get over the fear, right? That's number one, get over the fear. And number two, like get really clear on what your purpose and desire is. Like, how do you envision your life three or five years from now? Like, I remember saying to my medical assistant, I want to drink a cup of coffee while I see my patients. I don't want to crank them out every five minutes. This is crazy town. And two years later that was happening. I remember picking up my coffee in front of my patient and I almost started crying because I, it had come to fruition. Like I made it happen. Something as simple as that. But if you just get clarity and, and be afraid, but do it anyway, you can do it. You know what I mean? And it doesn't have to look like anything in particular. It will fall into place. Yeah. Be afraid, but do it anyways. Yes, exactly. I've had opportunities and you're going to like, you're bringing up my memory of how everything has come into play for me. I used to have a brick and mortar practice. I don't, I'm completely virtual. I used to run one-on-one patients, one-on-one clientele, you know, for the high ticket price, hated it. Now I'm running a membership for 99 bucks a month. And it's just come join me. I'll help you as you need it. And I, I love it. I love the podcast. If I could just be a podcaster, I would. It's like pieces. And I always say that, you know, God puts these moments and these people in place in my, in my lifetime at the right moment. And like, I met my mentor at a random restaurant when he happened to live an hour and a half away from my house for four months in his life. Like we crossed paths and connected and talked and he introduced me to this whole new world of virtual. Mm -hmm. So it's just taking the leap, taking the faith. And going for it, right? Yeah, exactly. 
I mean, I just think you should write things down, write down your thoughts and dreams and desires. Like, what do you want your life to look like? And then you take steps to make that happen. And yeah, it was scary giving up all that stability. I still have little kids, you know, I'm the major breadwinner of the house, but everything's figure outable. The money always works itself out. Like, I just don't worry about that. You know, somehow everything just works itself out when you are working toward your purpose and your mission. That's just how I totally believe that. Yeah, it does. And it's very cool to see the transformations on. And there's so many routes we could take for my big decision maker. And it always is my same decision maker is, is this going to allow me to be a mom more? Yeah. If it's not, I don't do it. If it does help me be a mom more then yeah, that's some, that's a route I'm going to take. Exactly. I, I'm like you, I do all virtual. I can watch my kids swim in the pool or be in the kitchen. Like I'm home with them now. And before I used to run out for dinner to do a delivery and not be home till the next day or miss all their games. And, you know, they asked me to stop having that type of life. And so I made that happen. That was also a big factor in it. Yeah. How old are they now? So I have a 28-year-old, a 19-year-old, a 23-year-old. Those two are stepkids. And then I have a 12-year-old and a 9-year-old and a 9-year-old stepdaughter. So you have there's a, a lot busy of household. <laughs> yes, it's great. It's never quiet here. I don't know how I even do these podcasts. <laughs> you have them go to the babysitters. I have a 4-year-old and a 1-year-old, and they're at the babysitters right now. Yeah. <laughs> or in your case, they're just at the swimming pool. All right, let's talk hormones and the cycle. Yeah. So it's super important for women and practitioners, everybody, and men, men, for everybody to understand that, you know, we are cyclical beings. (laughs) Things are changing every single day of the month for us. Today doesn't look like or feel like tomorrow. And You know, for men, their testosterone is usually the same day after day after day after day. Things are pretty stable and balanced, but we're on a roller coaster. And so, unfortunately, Americans are taught to fight against that roller coaster. Like, you know, we're taught to ignore any symptoms or any feelings we're having, power through, you know, just ignore it. And What we should be doing is embracing and understanding what's going on all month long and optimizing that. Like, you know, that the week that you start bleeding, you're going to be tired. Use that time to do more restorative yoga, more calming meditation, deep thinking, you know, that type of stuff. Go on vacation during that time. You know that your second week, you're pumping out estrogen. You're feeling amazing. Like a lot of people get stuff done at work, big projects. They like to run and do high intense cardio, that type of thing. And so if you start to understand like how you feel each week, I mean, it's kind of blocked week by week, then you can maximize that as opposed to fighting against it all the time. I read a book called Woman Code, and that introduced me to that concept of when you're on your period, you're going to be tired. So give yourself a break. And for a personality type like mine, I am very driven. You can't survive medical school if you're not, ultimately. And so giving the body not only a break, but then allowing yourself 
to take those breaks and to be kind to yourself during those rounds of the month. And then, you know, the first week after your period, you get to go hard in the gym or whatever the case may be. You're the expert. Will you walk me through it? Yeah. So, you know, first day that a woman starts bleeding is the, what we call cycle day one. And we want women to have a 28 day cycle. That's like the optimal, you know, time for epitome of health is you have a 28 day cycle. And the first day you start bleeding is cycle day one. So for like three to five days, you have a manageable bleed. You know, you might have one or two days where you're changing your cup or your tampon every few hours, but it's not every hour. You're not soaking your bed sheets. You're not just ruining your clothes. It might be a little uncomfortable, but it shouldn't be painful. You shouldn't be like at home dying, missing work, missing activities. And then, you know, by day five to seven, all of a sudden you're waking back up. You're out of that fatigue feeling that, you know, just like, I want to sit on the couch kind of thing. And you are feeling energized, like you said, and you're going to optimize that next week of increased estrogen and the testosterone's kicking in. And so you're going to make the most of that. You're going to do all your high energy activities. And then hopefully if your cycle's balanced, you're going to ovulate around day 14. So imagine when God created you that he wanted you to reproduce. So if you ovulate on day 14 from days 10 to 20, you're going to want to have sex. So your testosterone starts to rise. And some women who are really in tune with their bodies realize like, hey, there's my week or two where my libido is awesome. And I'm going to, you know, really pay attention to my relationship during that time and that type of thing. My husband always asked me like, how do we replicate that? (laughs) My hormones. It's what happens during this phase of the month. Count yourself blessed. Yeah, exactly. And women get discouraged because they don't have that same libido or that same desire all month long. But honestly, that's how we were made. We were made to procreate just like all the other animals. And so that's when we're supposed to be desiring have sex. So we ovulate. And then when you ovulate, you, your ovary releases the egg and that leftover area in the ovary is called your corpus luteum. And that is physically where progesterone is made. So if you didn't release an egg and ovulate, that progesterone is not going to rise. And progesterone is like your anti-anxiety hormone. It's your balance to estrogen. It keeps you calm. It helps you sleep. It makes you feel good. It prevents weight gain. And so that's really important to kind of support and you want to eat more complex carbohydrates, like dig into your sweet potatoes, do all that yummy good stuff to support hormone production that second half. Because if your progesterone is low, like most 40 plus year old women, you start to feel estrogen dominant and it sucks. You get the belly fat and the like biting your husband's head off and you know, the rage and all of that. So it doesn't feel good. You want to support your progesterone production during that third week. And then it all, everything goes down together. And so then that's where the PMS kicks in because of that quick drop in hormones. You can get the headaches, you can get mood swings, you can get the insomnia. And so if you are having a significant PMS 
area, that means you are in balance. It should be mild. It should be tolerable. People shouldn't be afraid of you those couple days. (laughs) You know, like that's a signal that you need to get your hormones checked. You should have just a couple uncomfortable days and then transition into the period. What's the best way to get our hormones checked and when? Oh my goodness. Such a good question. So this is multi-dependent. Let's assume we're talking about reproductive age women like us, maybe 40, 45, 50. You can do blood work. You want to do it around cycle day 21. If you have this 28 day cycle, you're looking for the maximum time after you ovulate where your progesterone is hitting its peak because those levels we have the best reference ranges for. If you do blood work, you'll get to see what's freely available. Like what hormones did you make at what level? Unfortunately, it doesn't tell you what you're doing with those hormones. It doesn't tell you how you're metabolizing them. Are you excreting them? Are you recirculating them? Are you making too much DNA damaging estrone, feeding breast tissue and uterine tissue? Are you making too much dihydrotestosterone causing acne and hair and all that other stuff we don't like? So if you want a more advanced look at what your hormones are doing and what your body's doing with them, you I love the Dutch test, the dried urine testing, because you can see all those metabolites. You can see what how your liver's processing them. Are you recirculating them? You know, so it's a very helpful test. I give my patients the option because blood tests are almost always covered by insurance, right? Whereas the Dutch test is a cash pay test. It's an investment into like really getting a clear picture of what's going on with your health, but you have to pay for it. So it's more of an investment. So you'll also get better results because you are invested in it. Heck yes, (laughs) for sure. So there are other companies that do that. Um, You can do saliva testing for hormones. And if you're on hormone replacement therapy, then there's different testing that's beneficial for different scenarios. Like we believe that saliva testing is more indicative of the creams that you're using and things like that, as opposed to blood. So it just depends on your situation. But I would say for most women, getting a Dutch test is really eye-opening. Like, that's what I always hear. Like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Like, this is, wow. And so there's a reason why I feel the way I feel. (laughs) Yes. And there's something you can do about it. So it's super empowering. Yeah. Do you ever use ZRT? I don't personally, but it's just as great of a test. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of how you were trained, you know, right? A lot of people use ZRT, a lot of people use Dutch. And then you can add in saliva testing if you want to look at cortisol, because we know cortisol is so intimately connected with our sex hormones. So when patients are up for that, I love to see their 24-hour cortisol pattern. Yeah, me too. You brought up a good point that I, I've never heard of before. So let's let's touch on this. When you're taking hormones, whether it's creams, pellets, pills, whatever the case may be, what do you recommend with testing? I know I get that question all the time. Like I'm on this. Should I stop taking it before I test? Navigate I- us through that world. So that's a little complicated. So 
as a conventional OBGYN, I was taught that you base your treatment on symptoms. You go by their clinical symptoms. And once you get resolution of the hot flashes, the night sweats, all that type of stuff, that's where your doses are good. We weren't trained to look at lab levels and get to a certain lab level. So that was all new to me in the functional world. So what we do understand is that if you're taking, if you have an estrogen patch or you're doing estrogen cream or progesterone cream, that doesn't always directly correlate with blood levels. So the patch does more, but cream's not as much. So if you're doing a cream, the evidence shows that it's helpful with saliva testing to follow that and tweak it around and change things. I still go by clinical symptoms because I want my patients to feel better, right? If you do pellets or um, pills like oral progesterone, natural progesterone, that you usually see in blood work, which is a nice, cheap, easy way to follow it. So that's helpful. I don't usually do repeat Dutch testing that often, maybe once a year to get the bigger picture, like have we made big headway, but you don't need that advanced testing just to monitor um, hormone therapy or anything like that. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm really big in labs and people always ask me, well, when do you want labs? I'm like, give yourself some, give your body some time. It's going to take time to heal and to navigate whether we're doing gut, liver, whatever it is with the treatment therapy, I don't need labs in three months and space it out. I have a several moms who are very numbers driven. Now I always say numbers never lie. So I want the labs, but they have gone so much so into the numbers that it's bypassing where our human nature. Yeah. And and we are humans. How to interpret them. Right. So if someone's on testosterone pellets, they're going to feel good at a super physiologic level because the reference range wasn't created with optimal health in mind. It was created with disease in mind. So you have to take everything with a grain of salt too, I say, because these reference ranges were created forever ago based on a bunch of, you know, studies done on men and, we just extrapolated and guessed because nobody's, you know, wants to touch women or do research on women, especially hormonal or pregnant women. <laughs> so I love that, you know, a functional practitioner is trained to actually interpret the labs in a more individualized way with optimal health in mind, as opposed to just like preventing disease. You know, like my biggest example I always use is patients will say, well, I don't know why I have diabetes. I was fine last year. And you look at their labs and it's like their hemoglobin A1C was 5.5, 5.7, 5.8. And it's like, you didn't get diabetes yesterday. You've been on this path. You were developing it. No one told you because we don't talk about it until it's actually a diagnosis. A problem. Yeah. And we just need to look at things differently. Yeah. And you know, this so many times they get sold, they get told, well, your, your labs are normal and they think, great, I'm healthy, but they don't say, oh, you're heading in the direction of diabetes, which is a perfect example because that number is very clear and set forward. Yeah. Um, And when, when it comes to like ANA testing for autoimmune antibodies, 
we don't test for those until it's symptoms. Yeah. We never see the pattern rising up. And, and my request medical records, I always get asked, well, how much do you want? I want them all. Give me 10 years back. If you felt crappy 10 years, give me 10 years back. I want to know because I can see the patterns formulate when you felt crappy. And sometimes when you feel good on the, that week, you happen to take a lab, you felt better that week. And, and I can trace that in the numbers. So numbers never lie. Just don't be so strict on the numbers. Listen to the body as well. Yeah, definitely. All right, Dr. Tabitha, would you mind if we jumped into PCOS? It's the most common concern out there. Yeah, sure. And I know when it comes to cysts, there's some myths around it. I saw a Facebook post you made about our bodies creating cysts. That's a natural thing. Yeah. So here's the deal. People with cysts don't have PCOS. That's a misconception is that polycystic ovarian syndrome is someone who gets cysts. There are cysts with PCOS, but that is the least of the issues. And it's usually 10 to 20 follicular little cysts around the ovary. It looks like a string of pearls on ultrasound actually. So a lot of people say, oh my gosh, I had this simple cyst. You know, it was four centimeters. I have PCOS and that's just them getting bad information. So a follicle is a tiny little cyst that you make every month when you're trying to ovulate. A bunch of them will grow. And the biggest one gets around two centimeters and finally ovulates. Like when people go for IVF, that's how they know if you're going to be able to retrieve the eggs is they measure these follicles. And so you watch these follicles and you ovulate one off, but you might not ovulate or the other ones that are left over might fill with fluid. And that's a simple cyst. It looks like a water balloon. It can be uncomfortable. It usually hurts like a mother when it ruptures, but it, it goes away. Sometimes it fills up with blood. It bleeds into itself. And that's a hemorrhagic cyst. And that's another non-issue. It usually goes away and gets resorbed. The time that it is an issue is if it continues bleeding, it ruptures and it continues to bleed into your abdomen. Super uncommon, almost never happens except associated with an ectopic pregnancy. Then there's more cysts that are dysfunctional, not associated with ovulation, like teratomas and things like that. Ovarian cysts are almost never cancerous, even in postmenopausal women, which is surprising to most people. But back to PCOS. So you have these tiny little cysts on the ovary, but they're not big cysts. They're not painful. They're not uncomfortable. You don't feel anything you're not ovulating. So those cysts are never growing. They're just sitting there like stalled out cars or something. They're just sitting there. PCOS is a metabolic syndrome. It's more about your insulin resistance, your elevated triglycerides, your obesity, your blood pressure issues, your, your testosterone, your androgens are super high and you're not making your cycle, your sex hormones. So totally separate I wish it had a separate name because I think it just causes so much confusion, you know? Yeah. I always say that there's a two key patterns with PCOS and one is the metabolic, the insulin. That's why they give metformin as the number one side of or the number one treatment for it. And the other one is the high T, which is where people can't lose weight and they're growing the facial hair 
then they'll say to me, well, I haven't been diagnosed with PCOS, but yet you have all the signs and symptoms. It's just that the, the ultrasound didn't per se produce those cysts that the diagnosis individual, whoever's diagnosing is looking for. Right. Well, and that's a great point because PCOS is a syndrome. So that means you just have to have a constellation of syndromes and conventional doctors are trained by Rotterdam criteria that you have to have two out of three criteria. You don't even have to have all three. You have to have elevated androgens, multiple tiny cysts on the ovaries and metabolic syndrome. So if you only have two of those and not a third one, you still can diagnose PCOS. And so that's another place people get confused is like, oh, my, my ovaries don't have cysts. So I don't have PCOS. And it's like, no, you do. If you're pre-diabetic and your testosterone or DHEA is through the roof, you probably do. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing either. Like if you have that pattern, then you know what to do about it. You just have to get the right help. And, and I'm sure you see this with the infertility where they're just like, Hey, try Clomid. Let's see if that helps things out. Whereas we're suggesting, no, if we can balance out the blood sugar, lower the testosterone and just get you feeling healthy, not only are you going to lose the weight, your periods will regulate, then pregnancy can happen. And then pregnancy is the first step. I always say this because for me, I got, I got pregnant the second time and that never crossed my mind that it was not going to become a baby and it didn't. But until that point, it was just like, I got pregnant. I'm going to have a baby. So I always say pregnancy is only the first step. We got to have healthy mommy and a healthy baby afterwards. Oh my gosh. That's such an important point. And so many women have PCOS and get pregnant, you know, with Clomid or whatever intervention metformin, and then they go on to have gestational diabetes. And unfortunately they're not always tracked after the pregnancy. So you really should be getting checked after your six week postpartum and doing another um, glucose challenge test to see, are you going on to develop regular diabetes because your risk has just skyrocketed. And that test should actually be repeated every year, but I rarely see anybody check that. You know, I've, I get multiple women say, why do you care if I have gestational diabetes 20 years ago? I'm like, cause it matters. It really, same thing with gestational hypertension. You know, if you've had preeclampsia or anything like that, your risk of having hypertension and heart disease so much higher than a woman who did not have that issue during pregnancy. Yeah. I did a podcast episode and it's either going to be before this or coming out soon when this releases, but it was with um, a doctor, Dr. Stephen Hussey. He got diagnosed with type one diabetes as a teenager. And they always said, if you have type one, you're, you're more likely to have heart disease. And so that just drove him on his path of learning everything he possibly could about the heart and protecting himself. And now he protects his patients as well, but it's all correlated. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. So do you ever recommend people doing the like finger prick to monitor their blood sugar? Yeah. Yeah, I actually have a seven-week group challenge that I run. It's called the Renew You Challenge. And we use glucose and ketone meters to have them check their sugar and ketones every morning fasting and after they eat so that they can start to realize how they feel correlates with their blood sugars. And it's really eye-opening to women 
to see, oh, that's what's happening when I'm hangry or I'm tired or, you know, why am I dragging all day long? So I think it's a great tool to just help people get more in tune with what's going on with their body for sure. Not only that, but they get to see, oh, that breakfast helped me be more successful during the day. And that breakfast, I just set myself up for failure. Yeah. And if it's doing it to us, what are we doing to our kids as we send them out the door to school? Yeah. A typical breakfast I see is like healthy breakfast is oatmeal, fruit, and then maybe a yogurt. And that is so high in carbohydrates, which all gets metabolized to sugar, as you guys all know. And so you are just like starting your day on this roller coaster. Like, here I go up on the sugar and two hours later, I'm crashing, you know? And like, if people can start to understand that that is not sustainable, that is not what powers you through, you know, eat the healthy fats, eat the proteins, you know, burn some ketones. My goodness. (laughs) Then that'd be so much better off. So if you need to, Prepare your breakfast on Sunday so you're set for the week. Try breakfast burritos. Yeah. Cook everything you need, throw it together as you run out the door and eat it in the car. Like, yeah. You can do that. You can do it for your kids. I like to do omelets because omelets are fast and my little boy loves them. So that's always a bonus. And then if I need to, protein shake if I absolutely yeah. need to. Exactly. I mean, how easy is it to just like, defrost some frozen spinach or saute some, you know, raw spinach, throw it in an omelet and add some goat cheese on top. Like you're good to go. I mean, I think we make excuses that we don't have time, but it's literally five minutes compared to 10 minutes, you know, ours is the bacon. We just buy the the bacon bits. I don't have to cook bacon. I buy bacon bits and throw it in my omelet and, and ready to go in a couple minutes. So it works. Just stop telling yourself the excuses and make it a priority because you're setting yourself up to succeed or to fail later in the day. Yeah. And blood sugar is the key underlying problem to all hormone chaos. Amen. (laughs) Right? Hormones. They can be so complex, but yet they can be so simple at the same time when you understand it. All right, Dr. Tabitha, as we're finishing up here, be sure to go check out her podcast on the Functional Gynecologist or at her website, drtabitha.com. They will be posted in the show notes. I always like to close off with clinicians on your one success story that you've had with the patient. Ooh, oh my goodness. There's so many to choose from. That's a good Um, problem to have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? I was just thinking about someone yesterday who had been stalled out. She's probably 48, 49 years old. She is in finances. She has a desk job. You know, she's like high stressed all day. She had this belly fat she couldn't get rid of and her periods were heavy. And she came to me and we figured out like she was just estrogen dominant. Her cortisol had stolen all of her progesterone. Her progesterone was in the tank. And we did a lot of work around bringing down those bad estrogens that we saw in the Dutch test. You know, we got her detox pathways working with dienylmethane and indole-3-carbonyl. She wasn't pooping. She was like going every three days. And we know that, you know, your beta-glucuronidase enzyme gets up and then it 
makes you recirculate your estrogens. And if you're constipated, that has more time to happen even more. And so we had to get her. Not to mention there's going to be stuff inside that's pushing out your stomach, making you feel even more fat bloated. Yes. So you got to be pooping regularly. So, and you have to get rid of that beta glucuronidase that's helping recirculate that. So we got her on calcium deglucurate. And then we gave her some progesterone support and she started sleeping at night. And then she finally had some energy to actually move during the day and, you know, start moving her body with purpose and probably four or five months into it, she started doing intermittent fasting. I taught her how to give up snacks, how to just eat three meals, then drop off to two meals a couple of days a week. Just have this time window where you're eating and you eat healthy fats and proteins. You get satiated, lots of fiber, and you're not hungry and you're not snacking and your blood sugar regulates. And probably by six months, she was like, oh my gosh, I need to buy new clothes. <laughs> you know, she even forgot that she was concerned about her weight because she was feeling so much better and she was focusing on all of that stuff. And then she was like, oh my gosh, I've lost like 15 pounds. This is amazing. And my clothes fit so much better. And so that was an awesome win that I just had. And it was all about like getting your gut back into balance, taking control over your relationship with food and what you're eating and just getting mindful about everything, right? Like, I just think that we are going about our days mindless. And so getting mindful, having a plan, and she was successful with a few supplements and some diet shifts. So it was pretty awesome. Nice. That's so cool. Again, go check out Dr. Tabitha on her podcast at The Functional Gynecologist. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Kylie. Your purpose is just like mine. It's big and it's important, and there's no one else anywhere on the planet who can fulfill it. So quit messing around and go get them. Chip Gains. Take massive leaps towards your purpose and come join the 21-day Permission to Heal boot camp that's right for you. We begin September 6th. Say yes to yourself and let's celebrate your success next. Pick the boot camp that's right for you here. DrKylieBurton.com practitioners. We are needed. Let's form an army and step into our purpose all while leveling up together. Come join me in the Beyond the Diagnosis Mastermind. Doors close September 6th and the opportunity won't be around again for six months. I'll see you on the inside. btdmastermind.com.